0: the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. Hi, I'm Davina Jones with Cthulhu Cares, and I'm here with Ina Esco on Verbally Effective podcast. We all around Memphis, Tennessee right here. We in the mix as well with DJ B.A., a.k.a. No Genre, a.k.a. Brandon Adams. And we on Verbally Effective Podcast with Miss Ina Esco. Let's go. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Verbally Effective Podcast. I'm your host, your double E, Ina Esco. I want to send a huge shout out to Spotlight Productions for allowing me to spot, to pod in this wonderful, amazing studio. Also, I want to make sure I remind you all to subscribe to the podcast on all streaming platforms and that Ina Esco YouTube channel as well. well. Let's get right into it because I have a beautiful young lady Ooh. here oh, that you. I recently met at a Bridges event, they were celebrating this huge anniversary, and she came to the table where I was with my sponsor, We Are Memphis. She is actually a visiting instructor over there at Rhodes College in Urban Studies in the Health Equity Program, and she's also... Um, a public health director with a particular program. She's going to talk to us about a doctoral candidate. She has a lot going on, ladies and gentlemen. I'm talking about Andrea Jacobo. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes, I said it right.
1: You did. I said so you it. Look at that. All that prep. Yes. <laughs> How you doing, lady? Good. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me in your podcast. And thank I'm you. Super excited for our conversation. Yes. And look at that help. You know, going into the community, we come together and look where we are. Definitely, a couple weeks later, a couple of weeks, (laughs) like literally, (laughs) literally. Now,
0: where are you originally from, Andre? Andrea.
1: I am originally from Miami. I grew up in Hialeah. Uh, My family's uh, from Dominican Republic, so I also consider myself Dominican American. Where someone would say, "Oh, where are you from?" I was like, "I'm Dominican," but Mm -hmm. you know, when you leave Miami. Miami is a whole different world down there, where mm-hmm. there's so many different cultures and a lot of people are foreign born. So when they say where you're from, you're really representing the country where your parents and family's from. So wow, I didn't I, know that. Yeah, so it's it's interesting when they ask, people ask me that question, "Where are you from?" I'm like, "Well, I'm from Miami. My parents are Dominican. I identify as Dominican mostly, but I live in Memphis and I lived in California, so I'm like a part of the world." Wow. So
0: you lived in Miami. How was it? Mm-hmm. See, I've gone to Miami quite a few times. I love South Beach. I mean, I'm only in the touristy section. Yes, yes. But how was it actually growing up
1: in Miami? So it's interesting. Um, I grew up on the west side of Miami. So if you look at Miami, um, half of it is the Everglades. And so I was on the west side of, of Miami. And you really are just in your own community, Um Mostly Spanish speaking, in where I grew up in Hialeah, it's the signs say we speak English here. It's um so um when I actually went to high school, I went to this high school, at North Miami Beach Senior High, and that's closer to the beach. That's what like two to three miles from the beach, and that shifted my perspective of Miami. I was able to go to the beach a lot more often when the beach was like once every year or two times a year even though i would live there wow yeah why is it well it's because the proximity and also i come from a working class lower income community that it was a a treat to get to the beach Mm. because it would take about 30 minutes from where we were Mm -hmm. but also the traffic the 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 painting down there and like for food so it was always like for spring break we would go all the time or like um, either at the end of the year or birthdays. Mm-hmm. It was always a special moment. Going really? To the like, yeah. if I, I'm like, you know, I would say
0: if I'm from Miami, I would be at the beach
1: every day, but right. um, that's amazing. Thank you, thank you. So the, the water and the ocean really resonates a lot for me. So mm-hmm. Memphis stayed on my list of places to live because although we're not, we can't get into the Mississippi River, you can see it, so mm-hmm. I have access to some sort of water, body of water. Mm-hmm because um, that's really important to me. Water water is important for me as well. What's your sign?
0: I'm a Gemini. Are so you a Gemini? I'm, I'm a, a Gemini. Look, I'm a Pisces. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, and that's my rising sign. Yeah, look, look, look at that. Look, okay. I gravitate to yeah. water. I have to see it. I have to see an ocean at least once mm-hmm. a year, if not more. I grew up in... Um, you know, a city uh, called Beaumont, Texas. It's not okay. far, far from the Gulf Coast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we would grow up, go to the beach all the time. Yeah, right, so Seafood. you know. yes.
1: I have to have water. You have to have water. Yes. Oh, I thought you were from Memphis. Not originally. Oh, look I'm at a that. transplant,
0: but See, they say I'm from
1: Memphis, though. Yeah, you know, yeah. once you once you come to Memphis and you really get connected with the community here, it's oh, yeah.
0: like... it they like, you're from Memphis. You're from, you from, from Memphis. We're Main. claiming you. <laughs> Maine. Now, you said that Memphis was like always on your places to go. So, how did you
1: get here? Oh, so that's a really good question. That's actually what started my career. Memphis gave me the opportunity to start my career in public health. Really? Yeah. So, my background is in exercise physiology. I graduated from University of Miami, and this is around 2014 that um, I was working for Equinox, which is a high end mm-hmm. gym line, like. People were paying sessions, $110 per session to train with me, um, working with them on their exercise, their physical activity, their nutritional habits and stuff like that. And I said to myself, well, these are the people that have the resources and this is actually not really what I want to do. So um, I asked a friend, I was like, hey, I'm looking for a job. I was going to ask her for a bar, like at the bar as a server. Mm -hmm. She's like, wait, wait, someone we know... As a position in Memphis as a research assistant at UT Health Science Center. Mm. And I'm like, well, I'm going to try to apply. And so I applied. And it turns out that the person was my former supervisor for my internship. Perfect. So that's how I got here. I started working as a research assistant within the Le Bonheur Children's Hospital as working as a community translation, a research translation um, educator. I helped develop some of the nutrition and physical activity programming for their um, diabetes prevention program for youth. Did you en- enjoy doing oh that my work? God. That like, what to do. <laughs> yeah, you know when you get into the warm bath, bod- uh, like a warm bath, and you're yes. like, ooh, I can stay here forever? Mm-hmm. That's exactly how I felt. But leadership always shift things around. It's not really um, that you leave the job because you don't like it, so you leave the people. And okay. so it, what ended up happening there, there's a lot of challenges mm-hmm. with the leadership. So I shifted... Within UT, I stayed and I started to become, I went um, to UT Extension mm-hmm. and I was a community health agent. So that really, that transition was 2014 when nothing was happening in downtown and I least not downtown, Medical District, mm-hmm. nothing was happening. And then transitioning to 2016, um, I was already in my master's program at University of Memphis. Mm-hmm. I was able to get benefits from, from school um, with UT Science Center. And so like... Memphis has a special place because it invested in me. It mm-hmm. believed in me because I couldn't find a job in public health in Miami mm-hmm. at all. With my degree in the exercise science, they were like, well, if you don't know somebody in the field, then it's going to be really hard for you to get yeah. it done.
0: It was meant to be. Yeah. Andrea. Now, let me ask you this now. You told me how you started your career in mm-hmm. Memphis. When you first moved here, what were your immediate
1: thoughts of Memphis? So Honestly, <laughs> truly. I told myself... That I was no longer going to try to compare to Miami. So I was going to let Memphis be as as it showed itself. And um, So at first, it was cold. Because, again, my, coming from Miami, I came in December. True. Anywhere it's cold.
0: <laughs> so come, Miami,
1: you know, year-round, it's, mm-hmm. it's hot. Hot, hot, hotter. That's what yeah. the seasons. You had to get kind of used to that. You're used to that. So I finally got a... I purchased my first sweater, like big sweater, that when I was 23 crazy. years old. Yeah, look at that, crazy. And so when I got here, wow. I was like, oh, it's cold here. <laughs> it is cold. And then at the same time, I'm like, wow, there's a lot of brown buildings. Mm-hmm. And, um, But at the same time, I felt that there was some energy here that was different. and that mm-hmm. The people were different. They were so welcoming. And, you know, Latinos are really... Uh, And Latinos and and people from Miami are really open and welcoming but there's something different about here in Memphis and so what really attracted me for for Memphis in general was the people Mm -hmm. like what I was able to connect to and that every person that I met had some sort of passion or drive to make this city It's the grit and grind city baby Mm, It is, it really is and that sense of grit is contagious It is and especially comes from a place that People really want you to do something good for the city. So, yeah, and, and Memphis deserves that. Oh, for sure, for sure. The narratives, the unfortunately, the narrative that that the media, you know, puts out about Memphis, mm-hmm. causes disturbance to Memphis. Honestly, yes. and I'm not sure why it's still happening. You already know, like the, the powers power that be. Hey, the okay. powers that be. Yeah, that's for sure. Wow.
0: Now let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Um, was it easy to connect with your Latino community when you first moved to Memphis?
1: Were they easy to find? Well, so interesting. The Part of the reason why I came was to work with the Latino community here. Mm-hmm. And so it, was, I, it wasn't as challenging because um, I was focused in that role. On, in that role. Mm-hmm. However, um, the way that I would get connected to the Latino community here was through families. Um, because I was so servicing families then. So um, it just, it was a different, it was, it's different, meaning that I would have to go to Broom Room to experience more of a, the cultural but young professional feel. Or, and this is what really shifted things for me because I, I, around like around 10 months after I moved here, I wanted to leave Memphis. Why? It was because of my job. Okay, the leadership. The leadership was really challenging and I was working 60, 70 hours a week. What? Ooh, I can, t- I can write that's a story about much. that. I can write a story about that. Ooh, I, well, that's for another podcast. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay, Um, but it wasn't until I did a leadership program with Latino Memphis and Latino Memphis really sh- showed me leadership. Memphis, new Memphis, uh, exposed me to bridges. Actually, that's when I first went to bridges did their high ropes thing, and their rock climbing wall, and it was through that connection I was like, "Ooh, I need to stay here a little bit longer." Mm-hmm. And then I found my dog too, uh, shortly after that so, oh wow, so and he came around like a form of community. This is another thing, like the sense of community in Memphis. like mm-hmm. I'm a cat person, so I only have, I have a cat at home too. and my dog I found him on the street. He was about to get run over, and someone stopped with me, and she gave me everything I needed to help oh, bring wow. this dog to, you know, good health. And that when I when that happened, I was like, "Oh, Memphis is is special. I'm here to stay. I'm here to stay." So oh, with wow. all those different elements of like having that leadership program and having that sense of community at the personal level, it made me say, like, "Okay, let me just ride this wave." God, you know the way. You you told me you brought me here. I'm here. Let's figure this thing out. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is my second time moving back. Moving. Why? Because I heard you say you moved to California mm-hmm. for a while. How did you get to California? So, I think there's if a theme here is that leadership needs to be needs to shift.
0: That's the resounding message resounding. from my verbally effective <laughs>
1: guests. <laughs> it's leadership. Leadership <laughs> in pro in these programs. But they don't go nowhere. Mm-hmm. For some reason, okay. So, you wait, girls, come on, another, California. Another, another, another podcast, pod podcast. about leadership. We have, we have so many ideas coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I got my master's in public health, and I was already in the position that I was doing above my what my job description was. I was working with uh, folks that were already our specialists, and they were creating curriculum and creating programs and I was supporting that as an as an agent or I was and when I got to the point that I was like okay I want to become a specialist or I'm interested in that um unfortunately what my response was get a PhD or go to another university Mm. mind you the specialists already the requirements to have a master's degree which you already had already had but because I didn't have a master's degree in the specific field that they were asking for, though a public health degree is actually what's needed mm-hmm. in this in this position to really do the things that we're trying to do. Um, I was like, okay, well, this is, again, a sign from God, mm-hmm. and that's when I started to apply. I applied everywhere. Berkeley, I'm at UC Berkeley School of Public Health, and they're the ones that kind of accepted me and, like, um, provided some funding, and I was like, okay, well, I always wanted to come to California. I had this, like, desire to go to the West, like mm-hmm. every person does. More like, beach. More beach, golden <laughs> golden coast, and all this different thing. West side. Things and West side, and all all these ideas, right? Yes. And so I went to California um, and, and went to the Bay Area. Too. Bay Area. How long mm-hmm. were you there? I was there from 2019, fall of 2019, all the way to – actually January of 2022 during covid you uh, were in the bay area oh my God. it was so like it was challenging and at the same time being in public health we really got boots on the ground and tried to shift things right away when covid just, um like broke out i i knew something was happening prior to everybody shutting down how and did you know december of 2019 i got an i saw this article about there was a virus happening in and, this and, your field of study you know you know mm-hmm. that you know you know okay yeah and also like because we're we're always i'm always reading about things i'm always trying to f- putting things together and so when i got this when i saw that the article and i was like oh this sounds very familiar did you ever watch contagion or mm-hmm. right so yeah. i watched contagion as a part of, in 2015 as a part of my Epidemiology course. I watched it during COVID, though. I know everyone <laughs> did because it was like number one on on right. On Netflix we wanted after. to know what happened. I had that 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 was one of the first films I saw, and after that film, I was like, "Oh, there was such a deep feeling." Back in twenty fifteen, I couldn't watch anything or any do anything after that. But anyway, I I digress. Um, what happened in contagion was what was happening in real life, I mean. and that's what I said to my former partner I was like look there's some contagion shit happening right now Mm -hmm. and I don't know but this seems kind of eerie and this is 25th this is December of 2019 Mm -hmm. by February 20 uh, February 2020 there was a state of emergency by uh, San Francisco Mm -hmm. which was the first city I remember first city that declares it Um, and because we also had one of the first cases and that's when, like, things shifted for me. I was supposed to go to, Costa, um, to Nicaragua to do a physical activity nutrition program. And because of COVID, it shifted my research completely. Not because I was trying to ride this wave of um, COVID-related or infectious diseases. It's more of, like, how do we create systems that anticipates challenges that we're going to see? And then, how do we bring people's voices to the center? Because we were seeing the same issues that we see in public health or in healthcare about how Black Indigenous people of color are being are dying at higher rates than white than white people. Then you're starting to see COVID being more as a way to exacerbating these mm-hmm. these issues already. So um, that's why I kind of shifted my COVID really shifted my perspective of how we need to move towards more equitable practices mm-hmm. in every, in every single system, mm-hmm. everything's health and yeah. COVID really highlighted that for me. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how we started. We, we ended up here, but we're I, here. I'm, we're I'm here. I'm zoomed
0: in honey. <laughs> now. You're, you're, you're over there in California, Berkeley. Yes.
1: How did you come back? So because of COVID, Everything went online, meaning that we still had to do work online and so I was already doing some work with the library here the um the central the Memphis Central Library. Mm-hmm. I help um, bring up their health information centers outside of the central library system okay. so uh, we had a information center in Whitehaven and at the Corn- Cornelia crenshaw library um, we had it at out in uh, East Memphis, um, but all these different because I still was connected in Memphis. I still was asked to like, "Hey, can you facilitate this? And mm-hmm. can you come do this?" And I was actually supposed to be the the new CEO for Common Table Health Alliance. Mm. That happened March of 2020. I got the I was interviewed and I was going to come and I. Right at that first, where we went into lockdown, um, the week before, I was telling um, again challenges with leadership and vision. Here we go. I told them week before. I was like, I don't think it's really safe for us to to meet because we're on lockdown here. You all are going to get on lockdown in the week after. I said that it happened. So, mm. it, um there was always some sort of connection with people here that wanted me come wanted me to come back and that's why I'm a visiting instructor at Rhodes college because there was a grant that they applied for, for COVID related addressing COVID. Um, and they asked me to apply mm-hmm. and I applied and they're like, yes, we really would like you to come back. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'm in my last year, my doctorate program. And I wanted to have my research to be focused here in Memphis. So okay. I not come back. And so why not? that's, that's why I'm here. And oh, Memphis wow. already. Gave, Memphis invested so much in me, and I want to be able to give back to Memphis in a lot. That's beautiful. Way. That is yeah. really beautiful. Are you enjoying your time at Rhodes? Yeah, I love the students. Today we just, I teach on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so I just came back, came from that right now. Um, we went to Claiborne Temple, met mm-hmm. with folks out there, talked about the, the historical context of Claiborne Temple, what they're planning to do and how it's related to health. And it was such a beautiful afternoon, so i it really was. it really was it was really yeah. nice out um I've really enjoyed um the conversation, but it's the students mm-hmm. the students are really heavily g- engaged, oh, yeah, yeah, and the way that I teach is in in an engaging a manner that it's mostly discussion based. Mm-hmm. I want you to read, but we want we need to be discussing this mm-hmm. in the context that we're living in today, and so mm-hmm. the students are really eager. They're really developing their critical analytical skills. I'm also trying low-key to, like, help them become more organizers and, like, mm-hmm. really, you know, um, bring changes to the system in which we're living in. And so I, I really enjoy it. I, I think I just enjoy it so much because of the students and mm-hmm. seeing students have these light bulb moments. Mm-hmm. And the fact that my role is, like, a dual role. Of like, I'm in community and, and developing, helping st- community strategies um, related to addressing COVID and um, health disparities. And so mm-hmm. it's one of those things that um, it's a good timing where I am. I have one foot in community, one foot in, a- in academia, which I never thought would be in academia, and provide a new way for us to think about public health, which yes. I, I didn't see in my school, or it was mostly among my peers, my the student peers, Versus the professors, although mm-hmm. some of the professors that I did deal with, work with, they provided a lot of um, insight to how I do my work. It was really the students shifting mm-hmm. and creating new waves. So I'm trying to incentivize that with my students. And I'm pretty sure that they're,
0: like, very excited to be back in the classroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure, they
1: really are. Because uh, I mean, the whole online thing. Oh, I'm not for even it. Even with you, with your doctorate program, I would not. I think, I think if like there's no there's new students now, and they're like really enjoying campus, and I'm just like, mm-hmm. man, I wish because mm-hmm. COVID really took away my whole experience on campus, mm-hmm. and I'm like, if I, if I if I if I'm in school online, might as well just move back. May as well. And, <laughs> and you're here. And I'm and here, yeah.
0: Today is October 13th, yeah. and I believe we have more, one more day of um, Hispanic Heritage yes. Month. Am I saying it correctly?
1: Hispanic Heritage Month, Latinx Heritage Month. Mm-hmm. There's so many ways in which it's... Um, it's a lot
0: of ways to
1: say it. Yeah, it is. And the thing is the reason I... When we say Hispanic and we say Latinx, like, there's a difference between the two.
0: And we don't want to say it wrong. Right. And, and we're like, well, do we say everything or let's talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Because I know you're a first-gen Afro-Latinx, right? Yes. Did I say that correctly?
1: Yes, you did. You okay. did. And, um, okay. and like, even let's take get a little deeper than that. I'm Afro-Dominicana. Afro-Dominicana. Yeah. And and I mention that because when we use the word term Latinx and Hispanic, it's really the US political context in which they're trying to categorize us and being able to um, be a part of the the American population, right? It -hmm. started in um, the 1970s. Um, Dr. Cristina Mora has this book called Making Hispanic, and it was a way for uh, to gain more political um, advantage for um, politicians. And mm-hmm. because at that time, there was no um, categorization for Mexicans, Cubans, Dominicans, mm-hmm. um, folks from Central America that were coming into the United States um, due to the economic issues or political issues that were experiencing in, the, in their countries, and they were migrating to the United States. Mm-hmm. So you start start seeing a large influx of folks coming to the United States. It's because of that the term Hispanic and Latin. to to emerge it has there's so many contentions with the term because when we when a person let's say if we're doing research and or even the census they were filling it out and this person comes to the united states um as first as just a newly migrant or a person that grew up in their respective countries when they are asked to fill out the box it's so challenging because they're they they like, do not know what to put they don't know what to put. Cause also, um, if you notice, Hispanic is not even included in the racial, but it's ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's even more confusing because 'cause they're now like having to have more context of who are they racially. Mm-hmm. And so um That is like very complex. Very complex. And I think the reason why I, that's how I'm celebrating Latinx Hispanic Latinx and Hispanic character join this this year because we there's a lot of tension in in the community especially mm. the anti-blackness that exists in the Latinx community and there are so many Afro-Latinos and that their narr- narrative does not get elevated because the mainstream. Has a specific way in which Latin should look like.
0: Wow. How long have we been celebrating um, Hispanic Heritage Month? You
1: know, I don't know how long, mm-hmm. um, but I do know it's the reason why it's between September 15th and October 15th. Why
0: is it cut into two months? Mm. I, I'm like, that's weird. <laughs> because we're, you know. Right like before election?
1: <laughs> I guess Uh-oh. so. No, but also the reason why. The reason why though is because a lot of independence days uh from different countries are celebrated mm-hmm. in the first um during that time, like okay. I know Guatemala, um Honduras, a lot of different countries mm-hmm. um celebrate their independence day between the f- the 15th of sep- September to the oct- to October, and so they just decided to put it then. Mm-hmm. Um But also, Dominican Republic celebrates its Independence Day from Haiti, not from Spain. Wow. It's February 27th. So it's not even included in that. Mm -hmm. So again, there's a lot of, we have to ask ourselves, why is it during this month? Mm -hmm. I appreciate that we are getting celebrated and it's being elevated. At the same time, I know that there's a a different narrative that needs to be shared Definitely. every time.
0: Now, what is the the percentage of Hispanic culture here
1: in Memphis? In Memphis, it's less than 10%. That's, it. Yeah, because of what's being counted. Again, mm-hmm. it's so. there's so much when we do these um, data points or we collect information about who's living in our communities, um, we're really losing a lot of data because mm-hmm. of how... Um, the, the political system that in which we're living in, ICE has done a number of raids yeah. throughout Memphis, large ones, mm-hmm. within, within the workplace, within um, apartment buildings. So people are not as trusting to share their information. So I don't blame them. Yeah. Yeah. So I say less than 10%, but really we should be around like 13, 15%. I'm seeing more of that. Right. I'm, I'm seeing way more
0: than 10%. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so the fact that you are seeing it mm-hmm. highlights to me that we are not counting everyone who lives in, in Memphis, at least. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is very interesting to me, lady. Um.
0: Well, since you've been here in Memphis, um, and I know that you focus on urban studies, Mm -hmm. um, what have you noticed about Memphis that, you know, um, you feel that needs to be changed from an urban studies standpoint, like Mm. at the top of the list?
1: You want to take the elephant in the room? Let's go, let's go. Do you see all the development that's happening right now? Especially downtown? Downtown? Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing. We are faced right now, we're at a point that the level of gentrification that's that's happening is not exacerbating so much that's displacing so many communities right now. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be an issue two years from now, three years from now, if we do not center community in the process. Mm-hmm. Even Uptown, how it's created, how it was formerly Greenlaw, and it's been changed, and the name was changed, mm-hmm. and, there's, um, and I know... Um, her village was was you know taken were, was knocked down and then people were moved to different parts of the city and i think that right there in urban studies needs to the change. food desert the food desert oh my god that's just just layers on top layers the, the redlining that was mm-hmm. that was done that also created this investment in each community mm-hmm. um i know that there's a lot of work that's being done by community members by community organizations. That are really driving that. So let's look I, at the leadership. Well. <laughs> yes, isn't that something? Isn't that the the theme for sure? Yeah. Definitely look at the leadership. And I and I mean there are people who are doing great work in the city, and there are people who are also doing work to benefit their own agenda. Always, always. And I think that we can be Atlanta without having to be atlanta Mm -hmm. i think we could be dc without having to be dc i think we could be a lot of these chocolate cities that could maintain as a chocolate city without having to displace people Mm -hmm. right so and i mentioned dc and atlanta just because now that the recent you know see i don't know if you saw that that recently that the majority are mostly white people in at the the core of, of atlanta Oh, it changed. It changed. It, that's what I've I read online that the census shifted though. And also disclaimer: the 2020 census, some BS. Oh yeah, because you know COVID, <laughs> COVID. Like yeah. do we know, like it. COVID changed things, so mm-hmm. we can't really rely too much on the on the census from the 2020. But it just show, highlights that the demographics. Demographic graphics are shifting, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's due to the gentrification. It's definitely shifting,
0: and I think people don't like the way it's shifting.
1: No, because it's the culture's still there, mm-hmm. the soul is still there, but the people are not there. Yeah, so it's a very extractive model, and so I think that's one of the ways in which I'm trying to make sure that we are shifting that. There are people who are doing that; they're that shifting mm-hmm. things. I just think that we need to elevate that a little mm-hmm. bit higher. Well,
0: Andrea, if there's anything that I can do to help in the elevation, let me know. Oh, I would love you. to help yeah. in any way, seriously. Yeah, yeah, Because these are some of the things that stay on my mind at night. Right. You know, we kind of talked about that when I met you. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything I can do to help, just yes, let me I know. Yes, I think
1: this is one of the ways in which, you know, you're bringing conversations to people who may not be thinking about this mm-hmm. in their day-to-day. Um, any, I would love that. I, I mm-hmm. The way that I'm into, like – shift myself into this work is doing cultural strategy Mm -hmm. using the arts using yoga using wellness um using all these different ways in which we already it's really innate Mm -hmm. in us like the way that we relate to one another the way that we um, come together as a community it is different it is and how what what ways in which we can elevate what's already been passed down by generation generation Mm -hmm. to a way for us to create our future Definitely. Wow. Yeah. I
0: wish we had more time, mm-hmm. lady, but yeah. I
1: truly appreciate you for coming yeah, on the podcast course. today.
0: How can a verbally effective audience follow your amazing journey? Thank you. Um, you
1: can fo- follow me on uh, IG or right here. Like, mm-hmm. You can follow <laughs> me on uh, Make Way for Dre. Uh, that's my IG name. I've had that same one since sixth grade. Okay, that's Thanks. great, I.G. <laughs> yeah. Well, not the I.G., but, you know, the screen <laughs> name, gotcha. the screen name. You can follow me on Make Way for Dre, also on LinkedIn, um, on Andrea Jacobo, um, Facebook, I'm Andrea Mar. Mm-hmm. I, I'm still on, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not that active, but you can still follow me, underscore, Andrea Jacobo. Why are you not that active on Twitter no more? You got to watch what you say now on Twitter. No, no. It's just I never really used it. Okay. I'm one of those millennials that still haven't really adopted it. So oh. Yeah. I got yeah. you. I love Twitter. Twitter's cool. My <laughs> sister loves Twitter. She's always on Twitter. She's like. She's a little older. Yeah. She's four years older. And she's like, when I sent her videos on IG, she was like, yeah, I saw that on Twitter two weeks ago. <laughs>
0: Twitter where it says, sweetheart, Yeah, I know. I know.
1: Twitter. So I, I got I to gotta get to it.
0: I got to get to it. Well, Andrea. Jack. Hakobo. look, I'm just really struggling. No, no don't, worry. With the J. don't worry. Jacobo, I really appreciate you for coming on the podcast you so today. You have enlightened us today. Thank you so much. On some of the key issues that we have here in Memphis, especially from your heritage, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like
0: we need a part two. We and definitely there's more do. to come.
1: Yes, I w- I'm working on a couple of things.
0: So yes, yes, I would love to come back. Holla at me, honey. Uh, Thank you so much, Andrea. And thank you all for checking out another episode of the Verbally Effective Podcast. Please subscribe on all streaming platforms. Follow this amazing woman right here. And also add us on the Ina Esco YouTube channel. Thank you.